welcome to Single-Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single. I'm an uh, author and journalist and podcaster. You can check me out at jessesingle.substack.com or blockedreporter.org for the podcast. I co-host with Katie Herzog. Um, mostly going to take your questions today as usual. One thing that's been really interesting to me to watch unfold has been um, Kanye West's discourse. Basically, Kanye is unwell. And uh, depending on who you ask, that either has no impact or some impact on him posting some offensive stuff, including um, this one I think I just have to read verbatim or I won't capture it. Jews, DEFCON, Kanye. Let's see here. The Times of Israel headline, Kanye West says he'll go to DEFCON 3 on Jewish people. Jewish people is all in caps. Whenever you see Jewish people as a trending topic on Twitter, it's really accompanied by good good news. Um, so I'm, I'm very curious in the way people work out moral questions and in the way they work out questions of you know, responsibility and free will. Um, I should say get in the queue if you have any questions or comments, whether or not it has anything to do with Kanye. If anyone in the audience is Kanye, if any of the 24 of you are Kanye West, I'd love to hear from you. Um, this discourse that there's no way his mental illness could contribute to his anti-Semitic statements or his allegedly anti-black statements, I find it really interesting because it seems to be like underpinned by this assumption that if his mental health did cause these things, he's somehow less responsible for them. And um, the idea that mental health problems can't cause people to say or do object objectionable things is insane. I guess I shouldn't say insane because we're talking about mental health, but it is insane. Um, anyone who's loved someone with mental health problems knows that those mental health problems can absolutely make them intolerable to be around uh in the cases of things like schizophrenia it can obviously lead people down you know conspiratorial rabbit holes uh these just seem like straightforward instances where folks didn't have this mental health problem they probably wouldn't act that way i guess there's no way to know for sure so having had like some run-ins with this with people very close to me um one friend one family member i just i find it offensive and sort of opportunistic to build this fantasy view of mental health where it doesn't make people do bad stuff or doesn't contribute to bad stuff. Um, I see in the comment there's a great Freddie DeBoer piece on this. Freddie DeBoer is a good example because he, in the midst um, of a mental health breakdown, did something very bad. His view was, I was having a mental breakdown and I was responsible. Uh, people can disagree with that, but like that that's the way he handles it. He thinks it's ridiculous to claim that people with mental health problems... Um, don't do bad stuff as a result. As a result, he's really good on this. What he calls the gentrification of like disability and mental health, where the exemplars who write about mental health problems or post about them tend to not be that mentally ill. They tend to not be the sort of person who's like living on the streets or really needs to be heavily medicated. So, uh, a lot of this is just sort of like the downside of destigmatization discourse. We're not allowed to like talk honestly about what mental health problems can entail and what they can entail is some, some pretty ugly stuff. Um, I've got a bit more to say on this, but I'll start with Justin and other folks. Feel free to jump in. Justin, what's up? Hey, Jesse. Hopefully I'm coming through okay. Yeah, I can hear you fine. Okay, great. Um, yeah, about the Kanye stuff, I guess that is a thing worth mentioning. Um, I've heard a lot 
uh, over like the past, not necessarily just this episode, but I remember a while ago he went and like saw Trump in office. I think it was maybe there's been more to it. One but... of the most important Oval Office summits in history. Right. <laughs> there was a lot of discourse around it. Like, oh, my God, Kanye's clearly gone crazy. He likes Trump. Right. And I feel a lot of kind of that level of analysis is going on here again with him where it's like Kanye said something we don't like. He must be crazy. And <laughs> yeah. I I I'm I would not be surprised if he has real problems, but there's kind of like this diagnosing from afar and this question of attribution that I really don't feel comfortable really, you know, laying down in this way. Like uh it's the kind of thing that typically a, a mental health professional would say, like, no, I can't say this person's crazy and I can't say they did that because they're crazy. Oh, totally. Like, and what and but by that same token, I saw some doctors and mental health professionals tweeting like definitively no uh, mental health problems can't cause you to make anti-semitic remarks but without examining him no one knows anything no one should be making any confident claims about what his mental health state is or what it is or isn't causing him to do right oh i 100 percent agree yeah, yeah. um I, I wish people would just take his stuff kind of for what he said for the most part and i i'm not on twitter anymore thank god um, so I mostly hear my Twitter news through you, unfortunately. Uh -oh. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, so I didn't know about this like recent tirade, I guess, uh, against the Jews. If I, I don't even know how to, to characterize <laughs> it's it. More or less what it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's not great. You, you mentioned about like this moral analysis, uh, aspect of how people work through these kinds of things. And, you know, my go-to for any racial thing is just swap the racial categories. Would it be okay if we said white or if we said black in this case and obviously our discourse is completely destroyed on that front now but yeah. it sounds a lot like what has been being said about other groups uh over the past year or so and it has kind of slid by but it's one it's one of those things where depending on how you direct it and i'm not condoning what he said because i don't even know what the fuck he said uh, <laughs> yeah it, it may or may not be seen as okay uh yeah, people are definitely uh, inconsistent about that. And I think if he'd been a different figure and he'd been in the midst of some sort of meltdown and making offensive statements about some other group, people would have handled it very... Yeah, people are just inconsistent in bad faith about that. I think that's established at that point. Yeah, I uh, don't got really much more on this subject. So uh, thanks, Jesse. All good. Yeah, and when folks call in, if you, if you have something on another subject, just feel free to... Um, you don't need a... Attach what you're saying to whatever I've been saying. You can ask whatever you want. What's up, Patrick? Hey, Jesse. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. So I have a question for you. If yep. Kanye West starts being super critical of Israel and starts uh, supporting BDS, do you think the people on the left who tried to cancel him for the White Lives Matter t-shirt will have to like reassess and make changes to their position? Ah. <laughs> He just becomes like a leader of the BDS movement and he's embraced by them. I think the Jew thing probably was a uh, a one-way door and it's probably hard to come back by that. Anytime you're just talking about the Jews in such a derogatory manner, that would be difficult. Um, <laughs> it's funny to think about. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I guess on that kind of topic... Uh... I guess what even is the current stance on like kind of mental health right now anyways? Uh, so for Kanye West, like 
it's fun to speculate about a celebrity's mental well-being because ultimately he's rich and like is pretty bulletproof from any of the kind of harms that would say befall uh, say a similar person uh, on the street who has similar uh, a potential similar psychological profile. Yeah. And in terms of that, there's always a question of uh, where is it uh, paranoid uh, schizophrenia, other schizoaffective disorders taking over? Because with those, there's always some kind of common theme of who the group is. It could be racial. It could be uh, the government's always a big popular one. Uh, people spying on you, that kind of thing versus uh, just standard born hate and i guess that that kind of question is like we need to have like a kind of line otherwise pretty much we could say any racist person is actually just has like a para, uh, paranoid schizo has like paranoid delusions and therefore is actually fighting racism uh stigmatizing the mentally ill right yeah it gets really messy like to me there isn't a clean line between being mentally ill and mentally healthy in terms of like what people are responsible for, because I, I don't know. I just intuitively have had trouble believing that we have that much free will. And I think a lot of people with shitty beliefs, I don't think they choose to have shitty beliefs. I think they feel right and real to them. And I'm fine sort of stigmatizing them and, and trying to develop norms against having shitty beliefs. But um, I'm not sure it's always that clear cut. Cause I, I just think we've got a lot going on from, genetics to early life environments that that shape who we are in ways we're probably not aware of even when it feels like we're choosing our ideology does that make sense yes it sounds like you're a reductionist i'm pretty yeah i mean i think i am a reduct you mean well that's like that means a specific thing in this context right well reductionist in the sense of the fact that uh i guess i think sam harris or i don't remember what i learned this in a psychology a philosophy class back in undergrad but the idea that the concept of free will is not really as free as we think it is. Yeah. All of our decisions and behaviors are based on both like our body uh, genetic components that make up who we are, as well as the environmental factors. that. We're yeah. I, 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 this is a, a subject that I've been asked about repeatedly. I can never do anything but blunder through my answer because I know so little about it, but that sounds close to my view. I've always had trouble latching onto where exactly in the process of an idea forming in my head anything like true free will would come in. Because I already know the possible thoughts I can have and the possible beliefs I have are highly circumscribed by all sorts of stuff. So I just, I, 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 I have trouble grokking the concept fundamentally, what true free will would even mean, to be honest. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for me, Jesse. Thank you, Patrick. I got I to gotta read more about free will, guys. I, I, I'm an ignoramus on this, but anyway, what's up, Gus? No questions about free will, I hope. Can you hear me, Jesse? I can. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, no questions about free will. Um, uh, first time caller, I've been listening to your podcast for over a year. Uh, really Thank you. You're tackling some of this sort of stuff, like just fact-checking, doing basic journalistic fact-checking. But um, I, had a, I had a sort of topic or suggestion for you that, you know, you, you know this stuff better than me, so you may, might not take it. You've already mentioned it before, and it's, uh, it's about Gamergate. Um. And it also reminds me, the last premium episode that you, you just released, uh, you and Katie mentioned Coney 2012. Yeah, that's one that uh, she, I, I had to be reminded about all of that. But yeah, we briefly yeah. talked about Coney 2012. It, uh, that was an instance of like virality really affecting people's, I don't know, sanctimonious or self-righteous nature and, you know, exposing some gullibility. Um, and I don't want to make a reductionist statement about those people that were 
uh, fell for it because it's a matter of a little bit of experience with the internet and how how this sort of information spreads. Um, but sorry, I'll get back to, to regarding Game Brigade. Um, you know, your your platform and your podcast seems like a good place to sort of debunk some of this stuff, but I question the value in it because you're only you're going to get a lot of vitriol for it, and I don't know how much use it would even do. Um, but ultimately, the Gamergate thing started out as like a complaint about journalistic ethics, and there's no doubt that some women in the gaming journalism community received cyberbullying and hatred and that kind of stuff. There, it, there's no doubt about that. But that that thing got conflated with the complaint of journalist ethics, yep. and it became the other thing. So if I go to like a Forbes article right now to read about Gamergate. Uh, Gamergate is a harassment campaign, even though I was on the internet, you know, the day of as the Gamergate thing happened, and it was a complaint about journalistic ethics, first of all. And the way, the way it's still invoked even today, anytime somebody mentions Gamergate, it is just about harassment. Yeah, I mean, so at the time, I, I you know, I looked into those claims, and my, um, what I wrote at the time, which I, I think I stand by, though. The main difference in opinion is I think a lot of the people on the anti-Gamergate side are, are broken, bad people. Uh, there was just it was just attracted a lot of bad people, and but a lot of Gamergaters were like saying what you're saying, but I really did think they became like fixated on certain topics. Whereas if they had been consistent, right. it attracted it attracted the most the vitriolic and critical people. Yeah, and and it really did become this thing where it's like. There was what felt like a fixation on folks like Zoe Quinn and Brianna Wu that that overshadowed whatever legitimate critiques anyone would have had, and and I also thought that like the um, and I don't want to get too in the weeds just because folks won't know what we're talking about, but like there there wasn't a review of Depression Quest. Um, it was just like this short little squib of an item written by this basically for folks who aren't familiar with this this guy uh, Nathan Grayson, right? Was it uh, Grayson? I recall, I recall yeah. the name. Yeah. Yeah, he was a Kotaku writer, and he wrote a, a short little script about a game called Depression Quest without disclosing that he'd had a relationship with the developer, which he definitely should have disclosed. But it was like in the grand scheme of the many ways entertainment and video games journalism is unethical. This was not a huge right. thing. It wasn't even an official review. And I don't know. I just I, – I, yeah. To, to, so to, I, be fair, to be fair, games journalism is not the most important thing. <laughs> Well, no, but I, I think there's legit, like the way major websites cover AAA developers, there's like a lot of incestuous stuff. There's a lot of bad coverage. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I just, I thought there was a lot. It's just, I thought the whole Gamergate thing attracted a lot of really angry, obsessive people. I I agree. And that's why even, whoa, that must have been a sneeze, I assume. <laughs> Sorry, I tried to mute it in time. <laughs> Sorry, everyone had to hear that. That's all good. I think, I think you did. That was, that was really quick. Um, I, I agree with you. I mean, I know that the, the Gamergate thing, there was harassment even from the very beginning, and I agree that that aspect grew. So you are right to to call out that fact. And it, to me, it's an example of so much shit piling up, so much toxic stuff piling up that you can't even fact check or debunk the initial problem that started it all. Yeah, because, exactly. Because you look like a bad person for just investigating. Yeah, it was a hard thing to uh, report accurately on, but uh, yeah, yeah, there was a lot exactly. going on. Yep. Exactly. So, you, and I think you're doing great with the platform you have, trying to fact check this other stuff. Maybe Gamergate isn't even something you should tackle because maybe it's not worth it. But really glad uh, for what you do. Thank you. It would be it would be interesting 
to revisit, not to like. Uh, it was such a crazy moment in internet history with so many dysfunctional subplots and people that I, we should probably do an episode on some point. But uh, thank you for the call, Gus. Yeah, no problem. Take care. Eli, what's up? Is that Starry Night as your uh, AV? <laughs> yes. Can you hear nice. me? I can. Yeah. So sorry, you must be it must be grating for everyone to ask that. And you're like, yes, yes, I hear you. <laughs> so um, I wanted to say thank you for the recommendation for the Reuters article. It was really good. I read the whole thing. Great. The, just so everyone else knows, this is the Reuters article headline. Uh, As more transgender children seek medical care, families confront many unknowns. Everyone should read it. Sorry. Yeah, I think it, it exemplifies an attitude that I think is really good. Because the problem is a lot of the people who are at all skeptical of anything regarding, I hate the phrase the trans debate because it does sound like the Jewish question. So you don't want to, don't want to go that, that way. Yeah. yeah, but like the problem is that anyone who goes, who is skeptical in any way, a lot of them become, they, they you, you do, st- I think Helen Joyce does fall in that category. You do get the sense that they just really don't like trans people. Uh, and this article was respectful and it was it was very well meaning, or as, as you would say, in good faith. Yeah, it was by three clearly experienced journalists who knew what they were doing and who were not coming at this to lob bombs or anything like that. Yeah, and uh, the other thing I watched not the entire John Stewart thing. I watched the intro that you tweeted about, and I thought it was incredible how bad it was. Yeah, it was just a, a clusterfuck of magnificent proportions. Uh, DC, so. I understood it a bit differently than you did. To me, the point he made about soy boys and everything is about different gender identities, not about sex identities, which makes as little sense anyway, because, of course, like, tomboy is the opposite of a gender identity. It's the exact opposite. Well, this is the problem. There's this conflation of these different terms. So for folks who didn't see the segment, John Stewart at the bottom has a spectrum of, like, sort of tomboys to girly boy or tomboys to macho man, just like, but those aren't, if those are all gender identities, then that really confuses things because gender identity shouldn't just be like, oh, I'm male, but I like to express myself in a slightly more femme way. The whole yeah. point is like you're still male if you're a male, but you put it – I don't know. I, I, I found it just – it was literally just like what certain activist groups said, except now yeah. John Stewart is lending them his, his voice. Yeah, to me it's more like the point is you're – the reason I say tomboy is the opposite of a gender identity – it's the thing is when you're a tomboy, you're still a girl. Yeah. That is the definition of a tomboy. Or that used um, to be how we understood it. Yes. That used to be how we understood it. And that leads to the last thing I want to say is that there's this motion. And I talk to, I talk to people, there's this kind of movement from there are intersex people to everyone's kind of intersex, right. which, I, <laughs> which I find is kind of interesting. But um, I think like it really comes out when people like John Stewart did at the beginning where he, tried really hard to be stupid and being like, oh, no one knew what a woman was. Aristotle said this. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, you can still, you don't have to, you know, to respect and accept trans women as any kind of woman. You don't have to pretend that females aren't a thing. It was very weird. Like, even just the Aristotle thing where Stuart points out that Aristotle thought I forget the exact theory, but obviously he at the time... That the woman is a deficient... It's right. Just, it's actually more of an etiology of what the woman is. Yeah, exactly. Deficient. Right. But of course, Aristotle could identify men and women. That's like the point here. He could have... Anyway. Um, 
I it was I've just been disappointed in Stewart and Colbert because they were both like really influential, important figures for me growing up, um, especially during the Bush years. So yeah. maybe they were always like this, but it just felt different when we had during the Bush years. But now that yeah. it's like now that liberals have won all the culture wars so decisively, it almost feels oppressive to have them making these points. It was very different back when like the future of gay marriage was in question, I guess. Yeah, sorry, uh, Augustine. With Colbert, I think he fell much. Uh, I think he still. He just became whenever after he started heading the Tonight Show, he just stopped being funny. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so thanks and uh, yeah, have a nice night. Thanks for the call, Eli. Nixon, what's up? Hey, can you hear me? Cool. How you doing? Good. Are you? Doing all right. Thanks. So I guess well. We've already sort of moved on to the trans issue. I wanted to talk about something maybe somewhat related. Uh, do you know what an intactivist is? Intactivist. It's an evocative yeah. word. I don't think I know what that is. So intactivism is basically just the uh, sort of movement or ideology uh, against uh, non-therapeutic uh, circumcision. Uh, I think I have heard of this because I, I, there's um... – a guy I read, he's a, I think he's a philosopher, Brian Earp, E-A-R-P, who has written about uh, what he views as bullshit science supporting circumcision. Um, so in, in tactivists, are, the name. Yeah. In tactivists uh, are the people saying we shouldn't circumcise kids. Right, exactly. And it does seem to be declining in popularity as far as uh, new parents go. Yeah, but uh, it's still very much in uh, vogue as far as the medical community goes and the administration. And it's very interesting to sometimes hear these discussions, uh, you know, in small sort of like rented rooms with with chairs that'll be stacked after everyone leaves. It's like 15, 20 people, but uh, very um, somewhat um, erudite. Uh, medical administrative people discussing things and, and it breaks down into sometimes ridiculous and personal arguments and things like saying, oh, it should be, you know, in the interest of the male child to have sex for longer, thereby, um, you know, extending the pleasure of the act. And so um, decreasing, you know, the the stimuli sensitivity sensitivity is is sort of justified then culturally. It's just all sorts of backwards, crazy nonsense, but it's, you know, talked about very quietly and then supported in um, a very false sense by very similar way to this trans science where they just go, well, it's sort of decided by the Citadel and, and therefore it is that the, that's the way that it is. But really the underlying science doesn't make any sense of it. So are you, are you involved in, in activist activism? Um, in so much as I'm personally an advocate for it and, you know, I'll talk to people about it. Yeah. But I'm not, you know, I don't have any shirts and pins to hand out. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, it's interesting. I, um, I, yeah, I, I don't have kids. If I had a boy, there would be tremendous pressure, even as just a non-observant cultural Jew to have a bris. And I'm really, really not sure I would. I went to my nephew's bris and, uh, I don't know, man. Like, I don't, I don't think it's... It's pretty disturbing, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I no, I don't actually think it's like babies are traumatized by it personally, but, like, I just... I, I don't see why we have to do it. And I, I... From what I've seen of the evidence, people should read Brian Earp on it and judge for themselves. I don't know much about it, but I'm, I'm open to in, intactivism. 
Yeah, it, well, it's just an interesting thing because there's an overlap in some of the trans community people that want, um, uh, what is it, uh, vaginoplasties. Right. And so they say, oh, if you circumcise, then you have less tissue to work with for the vaginoplasty. And so in that way, they're united in the anti-circumcision movement. Ah. there's the whole just don't do surgery on children's gender minors right it's sort of more of a conservative point of view writ large but uh there's nevertheless a lot of political overlap in the issue it's uh, it's kind of interesting uh thanks for letting me know about that nixon thanks for the call sure of course uh, one brief anecdote yep. because you brought it up with the bris i had gone to see a dermatologist about another thing and she had mentioned her husband who was a um uh Moyle? uh no, well, no, it, um, very much involved in the Jewish faith, but I'm trying to remember the name of the uh, penis doctor anyway. I can't remember the name, name of the word. Like a urologist or? Uh, no, well. I'm going to anyway. Google penis doctor. Right. What do you call penis doctor? <laughs> well, now it's your search result instead of mine. So the um, <laughs> thing was she said all three of her boys, um, according to her husband's wishes, had been uh, circumcised in their homes using the traditional way with a moil and he does the mouth on the uh, oh he did the mouth thing he did the mouth thing yeah and i was just cringing the entire time and wondering how this woman who's a dermatologist yeah dude doesn't, doesn't have a you know it's it's like this total blind spot as far as just imagining the removal of healthy tissue there were um herpes outbreaks in parts of brooklyn and it's all really much. fucking disgusting oh, yeah God. Yeah. yeah. And all for nothing. Yeah. Just, yeah. Well, anyway. Thanks, thanks. <laughs> we got some in, we got some intactivism in. I'm glad to hear that. We knew KW, Mickey, Justin, then we'll we'll wrap it up. What's up, KW? Hey, not much, Jesse. I like the name of your uh the title of this episode. I got Monday Night Football on in the background as we speak. No, nice. Yeah, uh the Glad you mentioned the Kanye stuff. I loved Freddie's article too, of course. And I think what it got me thinking of is that this appears to be yet another one of those things, mental illness that has just gotten. Hey, are you able to move a little up. bit away from, is that a dryer or something? I can hear something behind you. Yeah, it's a dryer. I'm sorry about no, that. No worries. I wish I had an in-unit dryer. Uh, is that better? Yeah. Okay. So... Anyway, it seems to be yet another one of those things where it just seems like the culture war has swallowed up everything. It, if I didn't know any better, I'd, I'd swear to God, the whole theme based on these crazy tweets uh, you showed and he showed is that mental illness is a thing that only affects liberals. It only affects people who have the quote-unquote right opinions, the right takes on stuff. And right. if it's happening to a conservative, well, I guess that means they're bad. That's really what it feels like. Yeah, which is not a uh, not a, a, a smart approach to this stuff. No, it's it's not, and I just wonder what, how the hell we're gonna get out of this one because it just feels like everything we've just been balkanized on. I'm glad somebody mentioned uh, GamerGate as well. I don't, you know, I'm a pretty online person, I guess, and. Even I don't really know what Gamergate was really about. I wasn't really that online at the time. But I just, but I think I'd like to point out the weirdest stuff about that was the, 
there are various people. It happened in my area of film Twitter that, you know, that I'd gotten alienated from. There are just so many people who think that, oh, you can take Gamergate and you can draw a straight line from there to Trump in January 6th. And I'm like, ah, oh, guys, come on. That There's like so many more things that explain him than that. Like, yeah, that, that, that discourse is just incredibly stupid. And it's from comes from people who just don't have a very broad view of of anything it seems as though that they, they're like the kind of people who discovered politics like just in 2014 in or yeah just exactly in, or just in 2016 it, it reminds me of the, the people who when uh the ukraine war got underway i actually know people who were like oh putin did it because the he senses the west is weak that we're oh, I remember like, that because like, of like trans issues, oh, right? Putin senses opening. Uh, didn't it? Didn't uh, come from like hundreds sorry. of years of history. It was because of whatever's going on in the states. Completely different. It, it's like people's minds melt about this yeah. stuff. And and one more thing about the John Stewart uh, thing. I have not watched this. All I just saw was a clip or two, and I still really don't know what the hell the answers are on a lot on a lot of trans stuff. But I've just been thinking about late night TV in general. I mean, I understand it was a huge thing back in the Bush years because you really needed these uh, these comedians directly challenging power, and it was a it was a fun way to do it. But I I wonder whether it's even needed anymore because, like you said, liberals have won all these culture wars. It seems like elite liberals are the establishment now, and all these late night folks are you know, patting each other on the back and giving each other awards and all these Emmys for everything. It's like, what are we, what exactly are we fighting now? Yeah. don't have a lot of cultural power anymore. Well, it's interesting because on this issue, this is an issue that shows how schizophrenic America is because there's complete cultural hegemony on trans issues. Like any liberal controlled institution has the same stance, but you have conservative states where they really do have power to ban these treatments. So it's this weird thing where you both, you have all the power in the world to like mock and shame people who disagree with you, but nothing John Stewart says will affect how Ray, uh, Greg Abbott or Ron DeSantis, you know, deals with this issue. Right. So it's a weird divide. It is very weird. I, I don't know how to explain it or how in the world we get out of it or whether we're just going to be stuck like this forever. But it's very confusing. I, I just don't know what to make of yeah. it. Yeah. Luckily, I think most people are fairly normish in their politics, but it's definitely a, uh, it's definitely yeah. a very weird time. I've started to realize that as I've just slowly drifted away from Twitter and realized what a bubble it all is. And yeah, you know, at least you've got a dry, you've got a dryer in your bubble though. It could be worse. I've got a dryer in my bubble. I've got Monday night football in my bubble. Things are going pretty good. There you go. And I'll see you in Arlington. <laughs> Thanks, man. Looking forward to it. Mickey, what is up? Hey, can you I hear can. me, Joseph? Uh, not too much. I had to get used to the new app layout. Um yeah, it's funny. I just wanted to uh, say it's funny that you mentioned that the left had so decisively won the culture war. I, I literally said that uh, last summer to a big group of friends when we were all at the beach together, and they all like looked at me like I was completely out of my mind. Really? Which I think is really funny. Yeah, they were all just like, what 
are you talking about? And I was just like, basically said what you and KW were just saying that like, obviously there's like Fox News and stuff like that, but yeah. it was just like basically all, and it was just like the thing where they were like, what? You're taking crazy? And I was just like, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. But um, it's just funny the way, the way like people see like constant warfare, you know? Yeah, exactly. But um, I was going to ask, I can't remember if I called in and talked to you about this a while, like a little bit ago, but um, I, I wanted to ask what you thought of like the, the nuclear situation with Russia. I feel like it's even if it's like, even if it's a 1% chance, that's like a million percent, million times too high <laughs> a percent chance. And it just seems like, I don't know, I feel like it's not really getting a lot of news. I heard Biden just like, mentioned it in some big donor meeting up in New York where he was basically like warned against the possibility of Armageddon to them or something. Yeah. I, I mean, know, it's just very scary and I feel like it's not, you know, I don't know. I, um, yeah, I just don't know enough about this issue to have anything intelligent to say, to be honest. Like I don't follow it close enough. I, I, I agree. Nuclear war would be bad. How about that? That's my take. That is a, uh, you know what? That's very brave. That is stunning and brave. <laughs> really yeah. that. No, I mean, yeah. I, I just, I just not caught up on the Ukraine stuff to be honest. So I don't want to speculate. I, I feel you. It's, it's, it's really hard to, uh, to keep track of this. Oh, I'll just say this and then go. I, yep. I don't know if you ever listened to Bridget Fetessy's podcast, but she just, uh, she's been interviewing this guy, Robert Day. Oh, he's, Got some last name begins with a Z. I can't remember it, but he wrote this book called uh, "The Mediated World," and they've been uh, talking a lot, basically, about how um, you know we're just like living in this time where we like cannot actually process all the information that we're. Oh, I like that in. as a thesis. Yeah, I yeah, think that's destroying our brains. Yeah, it's really interesting, and I haven't read it yet, but he wrote it in like 2006, and she's doing this series of interviews with him now because she's a big fan of his and. It, it, it's ringing true to me, so you, you might want to check it out. Uh, I will check that out. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Thanks, man. All right. Uh, last call is going to be Justin. Uh, I I wanted to – it's going to sound annoying. I also would love for you to cover Gamer <laughs> in okay. some way. Oh, maybe not in uh, – Ideally, a full rehashing of the facts. I don't think you're willing to do that. But maybe a more interesting and modern way to look at it is um, a look at all the tactics that were kind of deployed during Gamergate and how they've followed through till now. Like, the Gamergaters, um, there was a lot of, like, targeting of advertisers and uh, trying to, like, get people fired and defunded, something we might call, like, you know, almost canceling in a way now. Cancel culture, right. Yeah, that is, you know, obviously the tables have turned in terms of the directionality of a lot of those uh, those tools, let's say. Um, but also, like, a major, maybe I just never noticed it happening before, but um, a, a real, like, wielding of these are bad people, don't listen to them, in terms of, like, everyone's a misogynist, everyone's a racist if they are in this group, to the point where, like, you know, the prime minister of Canada was saying this about his political opponents uh, a couple of years ago. Well, I guess a year ago now. Um, yeah, I, I would love to see you maybe cover it from that angle, because I think that's a bit more modern. And there, I think there's a real almost legacy there, unfortunately. 
Um, yeah, it might be interesting to like, see which strands of that extend and exist to this day versus which don't. Um, I think there's probably something there. It's hard to revisit just because like, people have such strong views on it, and there were so many toxic people involved. Um, but I'm definitely open to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, if you do, that would be cool. Um, and I did want to ask you about something else that you mentioned. Uh, it, you were talking about, you know, determinism and free will and how much do we have choices, that kind of thing. And I found that that is a really uncommon view on the left um, because, well, basically, if everybody is the same, we should expect equal outcomes. And if they are not, then... I think that's perceived as a undermining of kind of that part of, of like progressive philosophy. Yeah. Um, I, I was, I was surprised to hear you say that you seem to not be a blank slatist if you're familiar with the term. No, I mean, I'm, I'm not a blank slatist and that that's part of why I don't think people have as much um, control over the circumstances as we tend to assume they do. Uh, I could be missing something. What are you saying? The conflict here is here. Well, I'm saying, yeah, you, I think you're in a minority in, you know, having that brand of politics and also thinking that we aren't equal as individuals, basically. Um, and I'm just curious about how, I don't think there's actually a conflict there. I have yeah. answers to this, but I'm curious about how you personally, you know, mesh those two things together because others would just say we should expect equality because we're all the same. Oh, I mean, I don't, I don't think we should expect total equality of outcome, but I just, I strongly think that um, a wealthy country should treat poor people better, better than ours do and make sure people can achieve a certain standard of living. And I think the fact that we've wedded that to the idea that people are going to have like, you know, knowledge jobs, or we're going to teach really poor people how to code. I, no, I think we should just have like a robust welfare state that that smooths out differences in luck, basically. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that's compatible with the idea that a we don't all have equal amounts of ability, and and b there are many other ways in which luck interferes with like any sort of fair outcomes. Yeah, yeah, no, um, I think I agree there. I was just curious about uh, where you stood on the subject. Cool. Uh, well, thanks a lot, Jesse. Thanks, Justin. Um, all right, I'm going to wrap it up there. As always, thank you guys for listening. I would just ask if you like what you hear here, uh, tell other people about it. Uh, I'll be back. Today's Monday. I'll be back soon. Let's leave it at that. Keep an eye on uh, my feed here and on Twitter, and I'll announce the next room shortly. But thank you guys so much for tuning in, and have a good Monday. Bye.